0: Well, it is indeed a great privilege for us to be back together to open the Word of God again, so open your Bibles if you have not already or just let them flop open to this section of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, for those of you who may be with us visiting like the Ransoms or others who might be here for the first time, we have been studying through Paul's letter to the Romans. And we have come here to this great chapter, chapter 12. And we have been spending our time currently in just the first two verses, as Randy said earlier. This is now our fourth message that we are having from verses 1 and 2, as we are returning to these words over and over and over again. And part of the reason that is, is because of the great importance that these words have For us in our Christian lives as they must be understood. As Randy said, we have that Monday night men's group and over the last several times I've kind of asked the question, not simply from this last Monday, but a few times earlier even I've asked the question, if there was anything that we heard on Sunday morning, Sunday night, that somebody might have a question about, something in their mind that was maybe confusing... And as Randy said, we had a great opportunity Monday night to talk about some of the nuances of what is going on here in Paul's mind in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. And what has really brought to my mind from those discussions is that the time we are spending here in Romans chapter 12 and our time of lingering here in these words are so important and so absolutely necessary for us to have a proper understanding of what Paul's saying. And I say that simply because of this, because of the ease of confusion. There is an ease in us innately because we are still walking around this fallen globe. There is a a, 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 a part of us where it's easy to be confused and... We are lingering here because right here in these first two verses we find the motivation, the character, and the way in which we are to live as God desires us to live, even like we read in 1 John chapter 2, so that He would be glorified through us. That's why He created us, that's why we are here, and that's why He indeed saved us. So that He would receive glory. Our Christian living is to be rooted in an understanding of all that God has done for us through Him saving us from the wrath to come through Jesus Christ. We have been given everything that we could ever, and more so that we could ever imagine. Now that simply means at its very core that our obedience to God has to be rooted in our minds, has to be rooted in, in, in our thinking, in who we are. When we say mind, when we think about the mind, don't simply just think about your intellect. Think about the idea of your soul, that your, your, who you are, your spiritual side of life, who you are, your spiritual You're a a being, whether you're saved or not, you're a being that will go on forever and ever. You will either go on forever unto the wrath of God forever, or you will be with God in the presence of Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Spirit forever and ever if you know Christ by faith. So we are spiritual beings. So when you think of the mind, think of that reality. That is to be rooted in how we think about God, in how we think about ourselves, in how we think about what God has said in His Word, and what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. We are to have our entire being saturated in those kinds of things. And then from that is the outflow of a Holy Spirit-empowered obedience, or... If we are thinking wrongly, a fleshly disobedience, now, I want us to understand this because far too much confusion goes on in the evangelical church today. Far too much confusion goes on about what Christian living looks like and how Christians are to live, both in how we speak about obedience there 's confusion and how we process. The idea of obedience before God in our life and what that produces or what that does not produce in the heart and mind of God. See, sometimes we attach our obedience in such a way to our relationship with God that we believe, we have convinced ourselves, and some would even say this in the church sadly, that somehow our relationship with God changes. You say, what do you mean? Well, sometimes we get the idea that if I don't obey what God has commanded me to obey. Then that disobedience in some way changes my relationship with God by way of my standing with God. Now, we may say we don't think that way very often, but we do sometimes because how many of us have sinned, or maybe there's some sense of pattern of sin that you find in your life that you're having a hard time having victory over, and you have thought to yourself, well, if I live like that, I must not be what? Say. Do you see what we've done when we've done that? We have then taken ourselves to the place of not just evaluation of our lives before God, but we have now transferred ourselves and made salvation an aspect of my obedience in my thinking. I've said, well, if I obey, then, then I must be okay with God. But if I don't obey, then somehow my relationship with God must have changed. In other words, if God says that a blessed person is the one who meditates on the Word of God both day and night, right? Psalm 1, how blessed is the man who does that, right? That's what he does. doesn't hang out, sit with, think about, and, and associate all these kinds of ideas with the, the wicked. His desires is for the law of God and on that he meditates day and night. Well if I don't do that and I find myself failing to do that because of circumstances outside of my control or really most of the time just my willful laziness then I must not be a Christian. Because Christians are people who always interact in some way with the Scriptures. Now it's true That we who have embraced Jesus Christ by faith, we who are true children of God, are to be saturating ourselves with the Word of God, right? We are to be abiding in Christ, John chapter 15. We are to to be in the vine, right? We're the branches, He's the vine. We're to be remaining there, we're to stay there. And when we do, we are, in fact, living the blessed life. And the desire that flows from that is the desire for practical obedience to God in the things that come about in life. Our life grows in Christ-likeness. And when we grow in Christ-likeness, when God is changing us moment by moment into the image of His Son, God is honored by that. But the act of obedience or disobedience in no way changes my relationship with God. In other words, He is our Father, and He may be displeased with our disobedience, but that in no way means that we are no longer in a saving relationship with God. Nor does it mean that He loves me more when I obey. God does not love me more when I obey than he does when I disobey. He has loved me to the maximum in Christ. This is why the Apostle Paul has stated it so strongly in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Why we lingered there for some time when we were studying that. Concerning our own salvation. There is therefore what? Now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, that is an empirical truth that you must hold to. That is an absolute. That is what God says. That is the best statement from God to us who are the believers in Jesus Christ concerning the absolute, unchangeable nature of our justification before God. There is now no condemnation. Your disobedience isn't going to change that, nor is your obedience going to change that. In Christ, we are the children of God, and not even God will change that relationship. And so, Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, that it is in light of that understanding, right? By the mercies of God. That that phraseology right there in that verse refers back to all that Paul has said. We know this in chapters 1 to 11. All that He said concerning salvation. It is in light of that understanding, in light of the mercies of God, all that we have been given by way of salvation, all that God is, all that God has explained about His wrath being revealed against all men, that we are all there, that we're all without excuse, that faith is given by God, that justification is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, all of that tells us how and what should undergird our obedience. We have to understand that, that we can now and must, for our good and His glory, we must present ourselves, Paul says, in worship to God. Our lives are living worship to God. We, we are worship. Our Christian life is not what we do, it is who we are. We are worshipers. And what is the character of the worship that Paul says here? It is a sacrificial worship. It is a sacrificial worship that is continual. That's why he says present your bodies a living sacrifice. It is a holy sacrifice. That means totally and utterly different than anything that was sacrificed before, that, was, that, that, that somebody might say is an external, is to be set apart unto God in every kind of way. It is acceptable, that means it is God-pleasing to God. There are certain things that God isn't pleased with. There are ways in which God commands that He be worshipped. We can't just say, I feel like worshipping God this way, and God is pleased with that worship. God has ways in which He has designed and described that He should be worshipped. And so we worship Him acceptably. And it is worship that is born, as we talked about last time, from a reasoned mind. It isn't mindless worship. It's reasoned from the Word of God. That's why we call it spiritual. That's why the New American Standard has that word there. It is the spiritual service. Of worship. Now, what is all of that saying? This is what some of the guys were asking on my what, what does that mean? What, what is that saying? I mean, let's put some flesh on that. Because it's, it's simply saying this. It's simply saying that when we walk this Christian life, we cannot live in any way that we feel is right. We can't live by our feelings. Right? We can't live that way. We cannot live with this idea that my opinion is what rules the day. That kind of thinking is known as subjective thinking. And I want to I talk about this for a minute. Because you've heard me use this term before. Subjective or objective. And I want to kind of deal with that here as we look at this before we move on. Because subjective Especially when it comes to our thinking, because here's what subjective means. Here's what it means, okay? Subjective simply means this. Something existing in the mind, belonging to the thinking. In other words, something belonging to the thinking of the subject, us. Something belonging to us, rather than the object of thought. That's subjective thinking. It's a subjective evaluation, That places far too much excessive emphasis on moods and attitudes and opinions. In other words, it's egocentric. Egocentric, that's man-centered. Subjective thinking is all about us. It's all about what I get, what I want, how I'm doing, how I feel, what my opinion is, all of these kinds of things. That's subjective thought. So if that's subjective thinking, what's objective thinking? Well, objective means this, thinking that is not influenced by a person's feelings or interpretations or their prejudice. It's based on facts. It's, in other words, it's unbiased. Subjective thinking is biased. It's biased because it's all about you. Objective thinking is unbiased. Unbiased. In other words, objective thinking belongs to the object of thought rather than to the thinking subject. Objectiveness is something outside of you. Subjectiveness is all about you. I think that's the best way to kind of explain it. So we could sum it up this way. Subjective thinking flows from us to deal with all kinds of things which are like us. Objective thinking is based upon something outside of us. So that makes it imperative, doesn't it? That when we have the correct outside object from which our thinking is informed. We're going to walk rightly, aren't we? That makes it imperative that we have. And know that we have the right kind of outside thinking so if we're going to live as god desires us to live if we're going to live for god's glory and our good as god always has all things for our good if presenting ourselves as objects of worship as paul says here in romans chapter 12 verse 1 if presenting ourselves as objects of worship to him that is continual set apart acceptable to god as, as he's exhorting us to here, then it must be a reasoned service. It has to be a thoughtful, objective service. So one that is truly objective. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, Paul gives us here in these two verses, he gives us both a negative and a positive. He gives us what not to do, and he gives us what to do. So that we can accomplish exactly what God is wanting us to accomplish. And I want to emphasize, uh, as we start this, that these are foundational stones. These are foundational realities. What do I mean by that? I mean that this is the starting point. This isn't the goal. Okay, the goal isn't these two things, the negative and the positive. These are the starting point. These are something that are always happening. These are something that are continual. This isn't the outcome. Our obedience is the outcome, but this is the proper place to start. And so Paul says here in verse 2, notice, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Now, last Lord's Day, we looked at that term world and we discussed what Paul was meaning there. Just a quick reminder for those of us who are memory challenged, it means the system of the world, the thinking of the world, the way the world operates and all that it comes with, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the desires of life, the the strong desire, the epithumia of life. That's what he means. The world system, how the world thinks, how the world lives. Notice it says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, I'm always interested in Bible translations and the different ways that translations come about. The New American Standard translators put the word conformed here. Don't be conformed to this world. What is the word in the original language for that word conformed? And as a Bible studier, you should go into these kinds of things. There's all kinds of Bible programs that will show you this. The word is sus keman, kematizo. Suskematidzo. That's the word. And it's a compound word in its form. That just means it's made up of two different words that are put together. Soon is the first part. That's a prepositional attachment to the front of the word. That means union. Sus means union. Or soon means union. Right? Together. Together by association, together by companionship, together by process, together by resemblance, together by possession. It's that idea, being beside with, being in union with. It's it's like Psalm 1 says, right? Blessed is the man who is not in the assembly of the wicked, the the council of the wicked. He's not sitting with the wicked. It's that kind of idea of togetherness. So that's the, the first part of the original word. But the second part is schema. That's the, that's the root for the second part. Tidzo is, the, is an ending on that word. It just tells you how, what, what it's... Um, what it's de- it declines it as to whether it's a plural and all these other kinds of things. But schema is the root word. And schema is the idea of fashioning or scheme. That's the idea, the scheme, the fashioning, the external condition of something. So, is that what conform means? This is the original word. They've translated it with conformed. Is that what conform means? Well, I said, well, let me look that up in the dictionary. You can go into dictionary, go into dictionary.com. You'll find this exact information there if you want to. Here's what the dictionary says about conform conform is to act in accordance with or in harmony with, to comply. To act in accord with the prevailing standards, with the prevailing attitudes, with practices of some society or group. To become similar to, to be like it in form or nature or character. Well, I think the translators did a pretty good job, didn't they? That's a good word. We're not to be like the world and its ways in our thinking. You're not to be like them, unified with them, uh, becoming like them. So now let's take that understanding and ask the question, okay, so what are the implications of that in my life? So what, are the, so what are the implications of that? Okay, Paul says here, don't be conformed to this world. I know what world means, that system and all of its ways of thinking. It says don't be conformed, don't be unified in any kind of way, similar to, don't become like that. Okay, what are the implications of that in my life? Well, from the context of what we've been learning, what Paul is speaking about is not simply the actions of the world around us, He's not simply talking about the externals, right? He's talking about what drives those externals. He's talking about our spiritual side, who we are, our thinking, our mind, where those actions come from. In other words, the negative here is that if we are going to be sacrificial worshipers of God as we ought to be, in light of all that we've been given in salvation, then we have to ensure that. That our minds are not becoming in form or in nature or in character like the world. We cannot be like the godless and increasingly more secular society in which we live. We can't think like them. We can't let their thinking rule our lives. And listen. Listen, beloved. This is where the problem lies. It's not that the world conforms us to its thinking and action. It's not that the world just snatches you away and says, here, you're going to be like this. That's not the problem. The problem is, rather, that we allow ourselves to be shaped by the prevailing attitudes, by the prevailing practices, by the prevailing standards of the world. We, as Christians have disregarded what the Apostle Paul said to the Colossian brothers and sisters and says, do not be taken captive by the philosophies of men. We've allowed ourselves very often to be taken by the philosophies of the world. By the way, this is a reflexive word. That just simply means that it's us doing the action. When you read it here, this isn't something happening to you. It's, it's a reflexive idea. The world is not conforming us. The stamp to stamp it's thinking on us. It's, it's not saying I'm doing this to you. It's us allowing that to happen. So how does that happen? Well, let's listen to a couple passages. One from the Old Testament, one from the New. We could turn to several, but I, I just want to turn to one here in the Old Testament you don't have to turn there you can write this down Deuteronomy chapter 18 beginning in verse 9 this is what God said to the people as he was bringing them with him he said when you enter the land in which the Lord your God gives you you shall not there's the negative you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations God wasn't saying to them, listen, Israel, you're going to have a problem when you go in and conquer the land, this land that I'm giving you flowing with milk and honey, houses you didn't build, plants you had that you didn't plant, all this kind of stuff and blessing that you're going to get simply by my mercy and grace to, to choose you as my people. That's not what your problem is going to be. Your problem isn't going to be them taking you captive in your own heart and mind. The problem is you have a heart that's going to want to be like them. You're not going to have a mind that wants to think like them. You have all of this that wants that. And you need to learn not to imitate them. Not to be like them. In every way. There shall be found not among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter. You say, how bad was it? How bad were the nations? Well, the very next verse. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 10. There shall not be found among anyone one who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. You realize they were taking nations who were offering their children to the gods by throwing them in a fire? Using their own children as personal sacrifices in hopes that they would appease the gods of their minds? He says, you're not to imitate that. I mean, who would do that? And yet God has to warn them, don't do that. You're not to imitate that. You're not to practice witchcraft. You're not to be one who interprets omens. You're not to be a sorcerer, one who casts out spells or a medium, a spiritist, one who calls from the dead. For whoever does these things is detestable to the Lord. And because of these detestable things, the Lord your God will drive them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God for those nations which you shall dispossess. Listen Listen to those who practice witchcraft and diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do so. Why? Because Leviticus said, I'm the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You listen to me. My voice, my words, what I say is to be your absolute authority. You don't... You don't buy off on the philosophies of the nations you're in. You don't listen to their words. You don't listen to their so-called wisdom. You don't listen to their so-called experts. You don't do their things. I don't want your thinking to be any kind of their thinking. Here's an interesting reality. If I say the word ignorant... To you, what's the first thing that comes to your minds? Unknowing, right? That's what we typically say. If someone's ignorant, they don't know. Well, turn to the New Testament, first Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Notice what Peter says. Verse 14. As obedient children, so here's the result. You're, you're an obedient child. As obedient children, do not be conformed. By the way, that's the same word as Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to the former lusts. Don't be conformed to those things that you had before, to former lusts. Previous epithumia, previous strong desires. That's the word. Strong desire. Don't be conformed to the previous strong desires in which were yours in your ignorance. Now, we read that verse and we go, well, yeah, I was, I was going after those of things because I didn't know any better. Nope. It's not what Peter's saying. The word ignorance is not, I don't know anything. The word ignorance is, I didn't use my thinking. It's agnoia. It's your mind your thought. you And the A at the beginning negates it. There was no thinking. You know what the word really should say? Mindlessness. Now let's read that again. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the former lust. Well, how was I doing that? Which was yours in your mindlessness. You were conforming to the former lusts of your previous life. The strong desires of sinfulness and life like that. Because you just didn't think about it. You didn't turn on your mind. You were were thinking like the world thinks. You just had worldly thoughts, worldly efforts, worldly actions. You say, well, how do I get rid of that? Well, notice verse 13. Therefore, gird your what? Gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revealing of Jesus Christ. Here's how Paul said to Colossians. Set your minds on Christ. Set your minds on the things above. Get your mind off the trash that's in this world. That's the idea. Don't think like the world thinks. Stop thinking worldly. Go back to Romans chapter 12. God is telling us through Paul that if we're going to live rightly... We're going to obey. We're going to walk as Christians ought to walk. If we're going to walk in a way that is in light of and motivated by the mercies of God, offering ourselves in this continual, totally different, sacrificial, acceptable to God, reasoned way, then the first guard we have to put in place is to ensure that our minds are not buying off on the world's thinking. Now that means I have to... Take everything I see, everything I think about, I have, to, I have to inventory my entire life and say, okay, is that worldly thinking? How do I know? How do I know if it's worldly thinking or if it's not worldly thinking? Got to go to the Word of God. The, trans, the translators got it right here. The word conform is a great word. describing the very thing we must not allow we cannot allow ourselves to think and therefore thereby through that thinking act like those who do not know jesus christ we cannot do that that doesn't mean that everything the world does is sinful in and of itself that doesn't mean all the external activities that goes on in the world are sinful but what it does mean is that because it's the fruit of the heart. That what the world does is the fruit of their thinking. Because of that. There's no honor to God in it. We have to do it unto the glory and honor of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says. So what we do. Is born out of how we think. And we must not think like the world thinks. So how worldly Or how is worldly thinking going to be ruled out of our minds? Because we know it's there. We know it's there. There are things we we don't even, as one of my seminary profs used to say to us in in seminary, you guys are more sinful than you really think you're sinful. You're so sinful you don't even know how sinful you are. That's the reality of us. There are areas of sin in us we don't even know about yet. There are secret things, dark places we don't even realize yet. There are ways we are sinning we don't even realize. In thought, and attitude. We think it's just normal because that's what we've always done. And no one's ever said it's wrong. We've never seen in the Word of God with clarity that it's wrong to do that. So what do we do? How is it going to be taken out of us? Because some of us are saying, okay, I hear what God's saying here, but surely... I already have worldly thinking in me. Surely I do. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure where it is. I'm not sure what is worldly, what isn't worldly. So how do I combat it when it strives to rule me? Well, Here's what God says. Here's what God says. We'll just introduce this this morning and then we'll go to the communion table. But here it is, just introduce it. He says, notice in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world. Don't underestimate those three-letter words. But, but, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is such a great word. And I trust you notice that this text does not simply tell us to change our behavior." You notice it doesn't say that. Don't be conformed to this world. What you need to do is find out all the ways the world's doing it wrong and you go out and do the right thing and change your behavior. It doesn't say that, that we as Christians become aware that there's a behavior in our life that's sinful, so change your behavior and you'll be a more godly person. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. If you change your behavior, you'll be a God worshiper. It doesn't say that. Why? Because what we have here is the basis from which all our behavior comes. What we do is inescapably the outflow of our thinking. What you do by way of behaviors, by way of words and deeds and thoughts, is the outflow of what's inside. I've said it before. What's in the well comes up in the bucket. Whatever is controlling our thinking is what is showing up in our outward behavior. Therefore, We don't simply need behavioral modification. God says what we need is mind renovation. We don't need outward behavioral modification. We need mind renovation. We need our minds to be rebuilt. And then our behavior will follow. Then we'll know, Paul says, what we are doing. That is honoring to God and pleasing in his sight. You want to know the will of God? You want, to, you want to be a discerning person to discern what God desires, what God wants in your life? You want to know how to do that? Have your mind renovated with the truth. Have your mind renovated with the truth. That's what Paul says here. And so Paul's going to get into all this in the end of verse 2, right? You want to know how to, how to understand the will of God? Well, have your mind renewed so that you might prove what the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, perfect. See, the world and its thoughts, the world and what it wants, its choices are going to come along and they're going to tempt us in a certain direction. You're going to say, well, I'm not tempted that way, and you fire up the TV, and the next thing you know, you're arguing with the TV about whatever they're saying, and you're buying off on whatever else is they're saying. Or you get on your computer, and the information age floods your mind with all kinds of pages that are going by at breakneck speed, and you're buying off on it. And you're saying, yep, that's the right way. Yep, somebody even attached the Bible first to that. That's the right way. Oh, somebody's a Christian. At least they say that. And they're saying things that sounds good, and yet it may or may not be good. How do you know? Well, you better take it to the Word of God. You better define it by the Word of God. You better take it to objective truth. Because your opinions and your feelings are only going to lead you in all kinds of directions that may or may not be right this is the only thing that we can trust so when god's word says there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus you need to live on that that's true why because it's objective it's outside of you it's based on god and god alone if you believe jesus christ by faith then that's a reality of your life And all that we've been saying here in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, shouldn't be a discouragement to you. It should be a breath of fresh air that God would uncover those areas in your life so that you can now shed those and have your mind renovated in order to do what is right and honoring. As the world comes in, the world comes in. All of us know that. The world comes in doesn't matter what it is they have all kinds of opinions about your family they have all kinds of opinions about your friends about your finances about your faith about future things about your freedoms as a christian all kinds of opinions about that every area of life how we think and what we are allowing to influence our minds is going to impact the direction that we go You ought to always be saying to yourself, anytime somebody says something, some, something wants you to go a certain direction, you say, okay, but what does the Bible say about that? And if you don't know, you dig in to find out. And if, if you need some friends around you to help you dig in to find out, and maybe you don't find the answer right away, and maybe you've got to say, okay, well, I'm going to put the brakes on in this deal until I find out. I'm not doing that until I find out. Don't buy off on this fact that you, you say to yourself that I hear people say from time to time, well, I have peace with it. I have peace with it. Listen, I hope we have peace with the word of God, but listen, don't 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 buy that. Your heart will have peace with all kinds of garbage. Don't buy that. Only have peace when it when it's under the truly, rightly divided word of God. Then you can stand on it and say, Yeah, okay, I have peace with that, because that's what God would do. See, our lives, beloved, are worship to God question for us is, what kind of worship is God seeing in us? That's the question. Is He seeing worldly or godly worship? Because Christ came to free us from the domain of darkness. That's why I love that word transferred. We've been transferred into the domain of His dear Son. We've been transferred, taken out, put in. Therefore, let us walk as children of light that's what he's saying this is what our time around the communion table is all about not about externals this doesn't make you Christian this doesn't even help you become a Christian this, this does nothing for you in the sense of the spiritual side this is an act of obedience for those who are Christians not for those who aren't the juice, the bread doesn't do anything it's not going to help you in fact, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church, taking an unworthy matter is to bring condemnation upon yourself. Paul says, listen, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let your mind be taken by the philosophies and thinking of the world. It doesn't matter. You want to know how to parent your children? Follow the Word of God. You want to know how to raise your kids when they're older? Follow the Word of God. You want to know how to take care of your older, older parents? Follow the Word of God. You want to know how to live with your neighbors who don't like your dog barking at night? Follow the Word of God. You want to know how to deal with one another in the church who irritate each other and get under each other's skin and we don't like each other sometimes? Follow the Word of God. Don't go, well, I'll just do this because it's comfortable over here. I don't don't, don't need to do that. It's easier to go with this direction. Don't do that. Don't do that. Follow the Word of God. The Word of God says go to one another. Make it right. Word of God says, look, if you're going to at the communion table and you have an offering, but you realize there's something against you and a brother, look, don't take that. Let it pass. Go take care of that first. Follow the Word of God. That's objective. Is it any wonder that God's Word says it's sharper than any two-edged sword? It divides down to the thoughts and intentions of the heart thoughts and intentions you want to know what your thoughts are and your intentions are look at the word of God he's going to go there you are that's who you really are and then God says now deal with it in Christ you can do that what a blessing what a blessing we're not left we're not left to ourselves we're not just left out there to flounder and go boy I wonder I don't know maybe well I feel right oh okay we're not left to that we're, we have the word of God we have God saying us here's what you're to do here's how you think here's how you act we go okay Lord And when I fall I go to the Lord and I say Lord please forgive me I'm not doing what I should do and, and there's chastening there sometimes there's, there's consequences praise God those consequences are most often mitigated by the grace of God they're not as bad as they could have been if God didn't mitigate those consequences because that's what a loving father does cares for his children. Well, that's that's probably just an overflow from Monday night, but we'll we'll get to more of it next time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for our time this morning, a privileged opportunity to look at these things in a practical way, probably more practical and maybe normal. Lord, you have told us that we are to take your word and we are to think it out we're to think through it we're to put it in practice well that means we have to think about the implications for our lives we have to think about what does that do for me in my life how does that work what what does that do with my thoughts what does that do with my family my friends my workplace wherever it is how do I need to live you've given us everything we need for life and godliness you've even empowered us to be able to walk by faith trusting you even when it makes no sense sometimes but we can trust you because you're right. You're right. Father, help us not trust our feelings, our emotions, our fallenness, the world around us, but only you. And we know that in the end you'll receive all the glory, and that's all we desire. For you to be seen in us, for others to see Christ in us that they might turn to Christ. As the outflow of our life is a circumspect, respectful behavior. Honoring Christ. That they might glory in Christ. Lord may you accomplish that in and through us. Even this day. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.